Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship podcast. Today, my guest is Rachel Lancaster, who is a midlife mentor, a podcast host, and she's the author of a book called The Magnificent Midlife. And I read Rachel's book and I it's so aligned with probably everything you've ever heard me say on this podcast. But the one chapter that really intrigued me that I want to dig into today was this notion of embracing your shadows in midlife and how important this is and why we need to do it. I mean, it's a huge part of my own story where I really had to come face to face with with myself and ask some really difficult questions. And it wasn't always comfortable and it wasn't fun, definitely. But the results, the end results of that have been truly a gift. And so welcome, Rachel. I can't wait to dive into this with you. Thank you very much, Jennifer, for having me here. It's lovely to be here. So tell us a little bit about your story and kind of what prompt, how did you get to do the work that you do? Because there's always a great story behind why people do what they do. And I, we'd love to, uh, to know what prompted you to, to write this book and to do this work. Well, I was given a diagnosis of early menopause at the tender age of 41, which is a whole 10 years earlier than it should have been. And uh, the reason I got the diagnosis was because I was trying for another child. I had one child and I had desperately wanted another one since he was born. My first marriage had broken down, partly because the other half wasn't so keen on having another child and other reasons as well. And I was trying to find somebody who'd make a baby with me quite unsuccessfully, but I finally found one, except that, (laughs) except that he'd already got three children and he'd had a vasectomy. So he wasn't the ideal candidate either, but he eventually, he agreed. We were very much in love. We still are actually, which is nice to say, but he agreed to have a reverse vasectomy to give it a go. And I thought before I subjected him to the knife, I should go and get my hormones checked. So I went and got my hormones checked. And the doctor said, you have the hormonal profile of a postmenopausal woman. And I went, what? (laughs) What? What are you talking about? So it was a complete, the sky fell in, really. I had no idea what this meant for me as a 41-year-old woman. The lack of care that I was given was abysmal. I was literally sent home with a prescription for HRT, which then was the one made from pregnant mare's urine, Primark. And I was just basically told, well, go and get on with it. And that was it. Now, I am a researcher and I don't like taking no for an answer. And I was determined to find out what on earth was going on with me. So that started me on a road of doing lots of research. I eventually discovered an organization called the Daisy Network, which supported women who'd gone through early menopause and was a really great organization. And I went to one of their conferences. And at that conference, I connected with a nutritionist called Dr. Marilyn Glenville. I then went to see her privately because she had been talking at the conference about how it is possible to have more impact over your hormones and that she works with women suffering from infertility and could do things. So she put me on a special diet and she cut out uh, sugar, caffeine, alcohol, 
processed foods. I was to have everything really organic, really natural, and to try and eat as regularly as possible so that my blood sugar levels would remain Mm -hmm. fairly constant. And within five weeks, I had a bleed. So I went from being categorically through menopause, according to my doctor, to having a bleed. I then went back and I had another hormone test. And the doctor said, yes, you're back to being where you should be at 41. You can go ahead and try for a baby. So he had the snip. It didn't work. We didn't get the baby. But the book, I think, has become my baby. Your baby. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The book is my baby. Yeah. So So your menopause wasn't really menopause then? Well, this is, it was all very weird. It was all very, very weird. I think I was really in perimenopause. I don't think I was definitively through menopause because of course I learned subsequently that if you're under the age of 50, you have to have had no bleed for two years to be died, to be categorically through menopause and over 50 is one year. Right. So my hormones went back to premenopausal levels, but only for about nine months. And then my body resorted again to being postmenopausal. So it was all very confusing. But I think now they're very, very reluctant to do these hormone tests for exactly this reason, because they know now that our hormones fluctuate all over the place. But what this process taught me is that if we have the knowledge and the awareness, then we can actually have much more of an impact on our health and specifically on our hormonal balance than we might think we do. There's a lot of sort of menopause happens to us and we go, oh, it's happened to us. I need something to fix it because it's something bad and it's something wrong. Instead of being proactive about, okay, well, what's happening to me? Do I need to start listening to my body, getting curious about what's actually going on and then put in place all sorts of things which are going to help me towards long-term health. So my early menopause diagnosis has actually put me in a position where I now see menopause as this gift in midlife. It is this gift where we get time to pause, to stop, to think about who we are now, where we're going. It is a major life change. It is. And it's not a negative life change. This is the thing what I hate about the narratives out there. If you look at puberty and you look at pregnancy and childbirth, both of those are acknowledged to be potentially quite difficult times for people and for women, especially for childbirth, certainly. But the overarching narrative is positive. It's not negative. Right. But you don't get that with menopause. The overarching narrative is negative. And I am passionate about changing that as I know you are passionate about changing all of the negative narratives around midlife but I think it starts with menopause and uh, and sort of blossoms out from there and yeah and it's interesting because I mean I think it's twofold right so first of all we are not and I know I wasn't taught enough about menopause so when it started happening to me I was rebelling against it with everything I had right and I mean my menopause was like being hit in the face with a two by four which Now I can see it was actually a gift, not at the time, but like there was this whole sense of, you know, betrayal or, you know what I mean? There's something wrong with me. And so you fight against that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you make it worse. Right. And then you couple that with the, you know, the ageist uh, perspective that involves in our society. Like you don't even want to admit that that's happening to you because now you're getting closer to what they consider. And if people can see me, I've got air quotes out here, the end. (laughs) Right. And so we've never been taught. And this is like, I am so passionate about this. We have never been taught 
about, you know, this isn't a giant mistake by mother nature, like, (laughs) right. Like she didn't just forget about us and just left us off on our own. Like everything happens for a reason. Like the leaves fall off the trees, like all of that stuff, right. It happens for a reason. There's meaning and purpose in it. Right. That's exactly what you were talking about. And I loved when you mentioned in the book, how you broke down the word menopause. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Can you talk about a little bit about that? Yes. It's about me. So it's about starting to think about me, which we haven't done because I call estrogen the biddable hormone. It's (laughs) the one that keeps us nurturing. It's the one that keeps us compliant. It keeps us juicy for our menfolk. Right, right. It's designed to do a particular job. And so when it starts to decline and it doesn't go away completely, I think some people think it doesn't. It doesn't. The body has a plan. As you said, the body has a plan for us. It's not just leaving us out in the cold, but it's time to start thinking about me. It's about time to start saying no. And it comes back to that biddable thing again. We're good little women. We say yes. We do what other people want us to do. Well, we get to midlife (sighs) menopause and it's time to say no, not doing that anymore. (laughs) Right. And then the pause is about pausing. Yeah. It's about taking some time because we do need to process this. We do need to mark the transition from fertility to not being fertile anymore. It's massive. It's huge. I mean, if it's puberty in reverse, but I believe we come into a different kind of power as we go through menopause. I believe there is an evolutionary reason for us to go through menopause, which is all tied into the whales. Right. So yeah. I yeah. I've talked about, about that. Yeah. Have you talked about the whale? Yeah. About becoming, you know, leaders, right. The Sharing leaders of their yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then then no longer in competition right. with the younger females, you know, in the pod and they then, you know, lead the pod. They know where the good feeding grounds are. They know how to defend the pod. And I think that in the same way that whales go through menopause, we go through menopause because as we get older, we're much more useful to our communities as leaders than as breeders. Yeah. And there are many cultures around the world where postmenopausal women are the only women allowed to join the tribal councils, for example, like to join the elders. Right. And that means something. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like, you know, here in the Western world, we're like put out to pasture at age 50 and you sort of roam the pasture looking for something to do for 30 years. Right. We've just got it all wrong. We really all have. Wrong. And it's getting worse. Yeah. That's the thing. And also, as what I found in researching for the book is that other cultures, as they supposedly develop and get, you know, richer, They take on the bad aspects of ageism and attitudes towards older women. So, for example, in Japan, while women may never have had that much status in the workplace, they had much more status at home than perhaps in the UK or the US that women had within the home. And they're losing that because the attitudes are changing and they are succumbing, guess what, to to the advertising, which is bombarding women, particularly for cosmetics and cosmetic treatments and this, that and the other and hiding every possible visible sign of aging 
you know, because we're not supposed to age, are we? No, exactly. (laughs) And that's the thing, you know, like when I was at this point in my life where I had like, I was age 50, just turned 50 and had to reinvent my life. And I started looking about, okay, what am I going to do? Like, where are all the incredible women out there doing amazing things? And, you know, you start to look around and then you realize like what's being reflected back to you is kind of depressing. Right. Like I was like, okay, this can't be like, okay. So, you know, bladder leakage protection, you know, anti-aging cosmetics, meal replacement shakes. And I'm like, okay, all good. And everybody can choose what they need from that, but that's not the picture. Like that's a tiny fraction of what it means to be a woman at this time of, of life. Right. And I think like the work that you and I are doing and, you know, that every other woman does when she steps into her power and just really grabs life by the horns at this time of a life, like those are the images that need to start being reflected. Cause like, it's, it's my pet peeve in life when I see that. Right. Mm. Like it drives me insane. Uh, you and me both. I mean, I just, because it's just so wrong. It is. It's, just, it's wrong. You know, there's no ifs, buts, or maybes about this. It's it's wrong. It's demeaning to women. I've heard it said that, so for white middle-aged men, ageism can be the first prejudice that they encounter for white middle-aged heterosexual men. I was, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it can be the first prejudice that they encounter. Whereas, you know, women, we, we've been battling with sexism all our lives. And then you get the insidious combination of sexism and ageism. So you've got double whammy for women. Yeah. Then you've got the things like the gender pay gap and women oh. having, you know, being forced out of the workforce. There Don't are so started. many issues. Yeah, yeah, so many issues. A lot of work to be done. The, you know, you were talking about men experiencing, you know, ageism, but most men are experiencing ageism like in their late 50s, 60s, and 70s, where women start to experience that in their 40s. I know. Right? Like, again, that but, kind of that intersection. Well, girls, teenagers are being sold anti-aging products. I know. And, and the that of, is obscene. The amount of Botox commercials I see with women who are like in their, obviously in their 20s and 30s. I'm like, it's, it's obscene. Wow. It really is. It is. And you know what, though, as I make this point in the book, it's follow the money because there's always a money trail. As in everything. (laughs) Who is making an awful lot of money out of making women insecure? Right. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree. So, you know, this transition then. So we, we come to menopause, which is, in my mind, kind of a signal that, oh, hey, the way you've been operating, like it got you to here, but it's not going to get you to there. And so menopause is a little bit of like this wake up call where you have to like start taking stock of things. And the chapter where you talked about, you know, talking about your shadows and embracing the shadow parts of yourself, like, first of all, what does that mean (laughs) for people? I mean, I know, like, I know my experience of it, but if you could kind of talk a little bit about what that means, and then let's talk about why it's so important to dig into that. It's really about processing the less good aspects of Mm -hmm. your life and maybe you as a person as well, because these things tend to get brushed under the carpet and then they tend to continue to cause us problems. So those might be shadows in terms of relationship issues that you haven't dealt with or things that dreams that you had that you've never done anything with. And maybe now is the time to finally say, I'm never going to do that. I need to let it go. There's habits and patterns. We go through life collecting habits and patterns. We pile on the layers. And I find it fascinating to help women 
peel away those layers so that you can get back to who you really are underneath. And some of those layers will be negative and some of them might be positive, but they're all layers and they're all things that impact the way we interact with the world, the way that we talk to people, the way that we present ourselves. And maybe we're no longer authentic. Maybe we're so far off being authentic. We don't know what our authentic self is anymore. So I think that as well as processing the physical changes of menopause, I think it is a, it's a very emotional journey. Menopause is an emotional thing just as much as a physical thing. Hormones affect our emotions. You know, you only need to look at the monthly cycle to know that. So there's lots going on and it's about looking at those things in detail and no longer ignoring them because if you do, they're just going to come back and bite you in the bum. Yeah. And, you know, my story is kind of a classic example of that. So, you know, in the year leading up to my 50th birthday, I find myself divorced, unemployed, (laughs) empty nester and bedridden with a stress related illness. And after, you know, throwing myself a huge pity party for many more months than I would (laughs) probably like to admit. Right. I came to this place where I was like, okay, my life is reflecting me back to me. Right. And if I want my life to be different, I have to show up differently in it. And I realized as I started to unpack, you know, you know, after a 30 year corporate career, as I started to unpack all of the pieces, like the people pleasing, the perfectionism, the all of this stuff that was like piled on. And it had contributed to every one of those things other than the emptiness, because that was going to be inevitable, right? But had kind of piled on to my identity, who I thought I was in the world. And it was very clear at that point, but that that was not my identity. And I had to start asking myself some hard questions, like, who am I really? Who am I underneath all of this? Like it took a, a while to unpack. Like I said, there was going through all the perfectionism, the not enoughness, the this, that, and the other. And I realized that through my entire life, I had just been going along and doing what was expected of me, right? By parents, by society, by whatever. And nowhere along the way had I actually checked in with me to say, huh, do I actually want this? Do I like this? Am I happy doing this? I didn't, like none of that. It didn't, didn't even occur to me. Right. And I think that happens for so many of us. And so when we get to this point of life where we're like, okay, now we're really questioning things and questioning ourselves, like the first place is like, am I going crazy? Like, what is wrong with me? Right. Then you get through that. But there's a lot to unpack there about how we've been showing up and how that has impacted this place that we are sitting at today. Right. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's not fun work to look yourself in the face and be like, oh, yes, there I go. People pleasing again. Oh, there's there's perfectionism. (laughs) There's not enoughness. Right. But when you become aware of those things and you can take, you know, you can make different choices, make active decisions about those things, as opposed to just going along. There's so much power in that. Right. And see yourself. There's a book. There's a book somewhere. I don't know who the author is. I can't remember, but the title is The Body Holds the Score or something like that. Yes, The Body Keeps Score. Yeah. Body Keeps the Score. That everything that we go through in life accumulates and then affects the body. And I have no doubt that my inability to manage my stress better mm. was the cause of that initial diagnosis because. I had lived a very, very stressful life. I had not managed it. I had not questioned this life 
and whether or not it was a sustainable life for me. Yeah. I think also the first half of life, there's a plan, isn't there? Yeah. You kind of, you go through school, you, some, maybe you go to college, maybe you get married, maybe you have children, you get a house and children then leave. And then what? Yeah. There's no plan for the no. second half, but that can be an opportunity because then you can say, okay, well, I know all of this now. I have all this wisdom. I've done the work sorting out who I actually am underneath all the crap I've accumulated. Right. And where am I going to go and what am I going to do? You said on, I think it was your most recent podcast, you talk about, and I often say this, that, you know, from 50 to 80 is 30 years. That's a hell of a long time to, as you said, to sit about doing nothing, you know, but it's, we have so much to offer. And if we assume so I'm assuming I'm going to live to 90. I'm just working on the basis. I'm going to live to 90. Yeah, so both. I'm 55 now. That's 35 years. And maybe, maybe the last 10, I want to slow down a little bit, but not that much probably, but I'll slow down a little bit. So I've still got 25. That's the age of my son. So yeah. that's a whole life. That's all, exactly. It's yeah. a whole life yeah. to do something with. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. I mean, we've got another chapter or even two chapters. ahead. Mm, Yeah. Right. Like, it's just so absurd to me that we're just like, okay, this is the beginning of the end. Just, you know, put it in neutral and coast away. Like for 30 years, Like, Mm. it's insane. It's insanity. If we don't deal with our crap, then we won't be able to do all that wonderfulness. We need to get real and deal with it. Yeah, because I think like the, I always, I talk about this a lot too, about midlife being the gateway to authenticity, like to the person that you really am. Like that person who entered her fifties was not me, right? It was the shell of me, (laughs) but it wasn't me on the inside, right? It was layers of childhood programming, expectation, all the traumas, wounds, and all of that stuff kind of wrapped up in the shell that is me, right? And so when we get to this place now where okay, we're at the beginning of this 30-year chapter and we begin to unpack all of that stuff, we then start discovering who we are. And in the discovery of ourselves, like our true selves, and you talk about this, is where our gifts are. It's like where we can start to say, okay, what do I want to contribute to the world? Like, what's the legacy that I want to leave, right? Like, what's the purpose that I'm choosing for this next part of my life, you know? And have you heard the term generativity? No. So I think it was Carl Jung. Uh, it's, in, it's a psychological term and talking about the kind of the evolution of human psychology. And it means it talks about generativity, talks about this phase that all humans go through later in their life. That is where they start questioning, like seeing themselves as one day leaving the planet and questioning what it is that they want to leave behind. Mm. Right. And that there's some, you know, like, have I contributed enough? Like, what will people say about me when I'm gone? Right. Is there something else that I feel that I need to give to the world? And this like coincides perfectly with the time of menopause, right? Where we're coming in, like we're (laughs) having this physical change, right? Like we're learning about who we are authentically at the same time, we're talking about legacy and purpose, right? And it's such a beautiful combination in my mind. Like, it's like, again, the perfect storm. I think it is. I think it's amazing. And the more, the more I find out about it and the more I find out about the context and other cultures and uh, Mm. 
finally realizing that just because my culture says one thing does not mean it's true. You know, it doesn't mean it's true. And I can start writing my own narratives. I, yeah. I, that really excites me. It really, really does. Yeah. In the book, how do you talk about purpose? How do you define purpose? Because there's so much about so much pressure, I think, at this time of our lives as well, too, about finding purpose. I think purpose is anything that makes you feel purposeful. Right. So if you're living purposefully, if you feel purposeful, you know, whether that's that you're gardening once a week and that makes you feel purposeful, that's enough. Right. As you say, there's a lot of worry, I think, about I've got to have purpose with a capital P, but maybe yeah. you can have purpose with a small P. Maybe you can volunteer once a week with reading to some kids at the local primary school, which I used to do. And that gave me a real sense of purpose. I was still doing my day job and everything else at that stage. But just doing that made me feel that I had a purpose and I was mm-hmm. living purposefully. So I think it's about what makes you feel good. And it doesn't have to be anything. There's no, yeah. it really doesn't have to be big or small. It's what works for you. Yeah. I often link it to like what brings you joy, like what makes you happy and feel fulfilled. Then that's your purpose. For some people that might be making money for other people, like you said, it might be just looking after their grandkids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But like, it doesn't have to be this big thing, right? It definitely doesn't need to pay the bills because that's the other thing I hear a lot. Right. Mm. Because that's just putting more pressure on ourselves. And what we're trying to do is relieve some of that pressure, isn't it? And live more authentically. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And you talk about uh, in the book about it being an emotional and a spiritual journey navigating through. We've talked a little bit about the emotional side of it, but like, can you talk about how that was a spiritual journey for you? That's a really interesting question. I think it was about coming home to myself. Mm. And I've always said, that I view this whole period as me becoming who I was always supposed to be. Yeah. And I've always been very introverted, but I've always thought that was something bad, something that, you know, wasn't going to help me. Whereas what I've done over the last 14 years, really, since I got the diagnosis is I have reconnected to me and my innate self and it's that about being authentic and I look within now and I never used to do that before I never used to be aware that actually everything I need is inside of me so I suppose that's I'm sort of casting about what what is it that makes it this spiritual journey but I, I think it is that yeah it is that connecting with me and using me as the source of my energy as the source of my wisdom to help myself as well as to do what I do in the world so yeah I think it's probably that's the essence of it does that make yeah, sense? That's, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's beautiful because I think that's the one thing where most of us arrive at this time of our lives completely disconnected from ourselves. Like we've exactly. been taught, we've been taught to reach for external validation at every point along the way. Right. And then you realize, oh, now I'm in the soup because I did that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Because I'm yeah. not happy. I'm questioning my career. I'm questioning my relationship. I'm questioning everything. I'm questioning who I am. <laughs> right. And then it's like, wait, that's what you were saying about you have to kind of turn inwards. Right. And start excavating all of the things that are sitting on top of who you really are. And a lot of that, like for me, in terms of like 
a spiritual journey. It was really like a lot of soul searching, like going really, really deep within myself, right? Like past all of the fears and, you know, limiting beliefs and all of that. Like what was underneath that? Like, what was that thing? Like, you know, who was I as a little girl and what did I want to do? Right. And so that inward journey, definitely so important. And I know you talk a lot about that in the book and, you know, building yourself retreat time, which I absolutely love, (laughs) you know, and I talk about like carving out, even if you have to start with five minutes a day, you know, while you sip coffee in silence, like do that, like make that the first step. Now I I meditate every day. I only do 10 minutes in the morning, but I have the calm app and that makes it easy for me. I don't even have to think about it. And I do that. And I learn something every day from that because they always have a little teaching moment at the end of the 10 minute meditation. So yeah. I really like that because I'm, I'm you know, I love learning things. So that's yeah. that box. And I journal now. I never, ever knew yeah, the power of journaling. I wish I kept a diary. Oh, my goodness. All these things that I feel I missed out on. But I'm embracing them now because, you know, and yeah. the simple things like a gratitude practice. So there's lots of sort of markers in my life now that help me process what's going on and Mm. I'm much more able now to handle stress you know I have a toolkit I suppose I've created a toolkit and the the book is a toolkit yes it is very much that to, to sort of have all those things at your disposal yeah. And I was very much the same, like same meditation. I had tried it many times before in my life, but I kept saying, that's not for me. My mind is too busy. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, I'd be making mental grocery lists while I was supposed to be mm-hmm. inch fastener or whatever. <laughs> and now for me, like the meditation, the gratitude practice and the journaling, those are the ways like after so many years of giving to everybody else, right. Those are the ways that I now fill myself up first every day. <laughs> Mm-hmm. right before I go forth and say, okay, who am I giving what to now? Right. But I never used to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And recognizing that I can carve that time out for myself, no matter what is going on, mm-hmm. right. is just so critically important. And that's where, you know, you talk about this and I talk about this, the importance of putting yourself first, putting you on your list. It's all about the me, right? So fill you up mm-hmm. first before you go forth into the world. So I highly, highly, to those of you who are listening, if you know, you don't have some kind of a morning practice, whether that's just, you know, a list of three or four things that you're grateful for, or maybe it's a list of 20 things that you're grateful for. Start there. Mm. Right. Very, very powerful. And I, I think in the past, like you, I poo pooed it. I just thought, oh, you know, that's a load of woo woo. Right. <laughs> so exactly. I don't, I don't see how that's going to help me. But as I've gone through this whole process, I've also relaxed. I've also let go of some of the control because I am a control freak. Mm. So I have learned to lean into things, to experiment with things. I'm always talking about the importance of curiosity and staying open and curious. So first of all, curiosity about what's happening to your body, but curious about everything, curious about narratives, who's telling you something and what are they trying to sell you, you know, (laughs) curious about what toxins might be in your environment, being curious about absolutely everything and just being open to everything. So I'll try anything now, you know, Mm. I'm a sort of, I don't know, experienced junkie. It's like, just throw something at me and I'll, I'll have a go because I, it might work for me. I don't know, but I will try it out and see. 
Yeah, that is so, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very similar to that. Like, yeah. And, you know, for me at this time of life was the first time that I actually really tuned into my body because up until that point, my body was this stick that held up my head that I beat into submission to make it look a certain way or, you know, to make it fit into certain clothes. And I never actually considered the feedback loop and menopause forced me into that in a huge, huge way. Again, it was a massive wake up call that I now look at as being probably the greatest gift I have ever received in my entire life. <laughs> but the process was painful because, you know, like you said, you're, you're fighting against it. You're trying to maintain control. You know, you're trying to, you know, do all the things, do keep the exact and same you've, place. You've been taught to believe that what's happening to you is negative and wrong. I right. mean, over here in the UK now, something that really annoys me, I don't know whether they're saying it in the States, I don't think they are, but they're calling menopause a hormone deficiency. Yeah. an estrogen deficiency yeah. so we are deficient you know I mean we've always as women been deficient haven't we but now yeah, we're, yeah. Kind of, we're putting it into medical parlance and that drives me nuts because it's not a deficiency as you said at the beginning this is nature's plan this is what is supposed to happen to us and has been happening to us for millennia you know it's not something new it's not that we're living longer now and therefore we need all these extra things we've always lived longer so yeah there's a lot of things that uh, we need to sort out but I I love this approach and what I want to do is I want younger women to have this information so much sooner so that they are prepared so that they're not I always say prepared not scared so that they know what's coming down the line and who knows, maybe one of these days we'll all have menopause parties and we can celebrate this amazing transition into, you know, the next stage of life. That's what I would like. Well, because I think to our generation, we're kind of on the leading edge of this because we are not, women in our fifties today are not what women with our fifties were in our mothers and grandmothers time. Like it's it's a very different world. And Mm -hmm. I think as we shift and we step into our power and our daughters get to watch us Mm -hmm. doing that. Like I have this conversation with my daughter all the time about like her perspective on life. And she's like, I can't wait to get where you are. So I can start, you know, and I'm like, yes, one converted. Okay. (laughs) You've done a good job there, mom. (laughs) Yeah. Because she, she had a front row seat to watching me go through this, like, oh my God, what is wrong with me into the pit, (laughs) right. Sorting through all the stuff coming out of the other side saying, Hey, I'm actually really badass, And I can, there's so much more than I want to do. And then she's watched me climb out the other side. And so, you know, she might go into the pit too, but honestly, I don't think it's going to be nearly as deep because I see her doing work now in her twenties that I didn't even enter into my the frame of reference when I was in my twenties. Right. And she'll have you to ask yeah. for wisdom as well for advice and help. Yeah. So the work is what, yes, it's for us, but we really are like leaving a legacy. Like mm. we're changing what it's going to look like for generations to come. And I think for us, like we're on the leading edge of it. So we're like face-to-face with the struggle. And then hopefully over time, and it's probably not in my lifetime or yours, but like society will catch up to this notion, right? Like there's always a lag, (laughs) but societally, then maybe we start to look at women in their 50s, 60s and 70s very, very differently because there's this- Well, I I do hope that's in my lifetime. I hope it's in my lifetime too. Because we need, one of the points I'm always making is we need more female energy in the world. And we especially need older, 
wise, mm. calm female energy in the world because yes. the men keep messing it up. <laughs> they yes. really do. The world, I think, desperately needs us. So I want society to really yeah. see us differently. And I have this vision of, you know, this global army of older women just marching around sorting rubbish out and putting the world through you know and sorting it all out yeah and 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 that's why we need our energy and we need to stay right on top of our game don't we right and being leaders in the true sense of the word not a figurehead right like (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I often think about that as well too and I honestly I truly believe it is in my lifetime like I hope I get to see this (laughs) this the tides change because it just I mean I don't know about you but like when I watch and I do this like in my community, right? When I watch midlife women come together and support each other and like reflect back to each other how incredible they are, because we can't see ourselves, right? And you know, remind them when they're doubting, you know, when they're in the in the crap and they're doubting themselves, like reminding them, you know, that this is this is not who they are. Like when I see that happening, like there's so much power behind that that it literally mm. gives me goosebumps. Mm. Mm. Right? It's the most beautiful thing I've ever. I've ever seen, or I call like the tears of truth. Like whenever something brings is like, just like deeply, deeply truthful, like I'll start to cry. And I, like, I do this all the time, like all the time. Um, I don't know, call it hormonal or whatever you want to call it, but yeah, there's just so much power in it. Yeah. And I think as well that we're shifting, we can shift and we are shifting towards a world where that kind of sensitivity is okay. Mm. It's actually something good. It's not something to be pushed away and hidden. We don't, you know, to lead, we don't need to adopt male mannerisms and male ways of leading. We can lead as women, as our authentic selves. Yeah, that is so true because like, I'm a pretty sensitive person. And in my entire life, like growing up in the corporate world, like you learn to check that stuff. Like, you know, you cannot be, I mean, I went through a whole divorce and never told a single solitary person in my office, what was happening Mm -hmm. because I didn't want anybody to see me as less capable or too emotional or any of that type of stuff until, you know, I ended up in tears in the president's office one day, because I literally couldn't hold it down anymore. (laughs) Right. But like, that's who I thought I had to be to fit in. And I have since come to see the sensitivity that I have as being another like amazing gift. Yeah. Right. But it wasn't okay. Like I was never told that it was okay. Mm. Right. So, you know, we stuffed it down. And I remember the people who are listening to the podcast have probably heard me say this too. The first time I went to a meditation class, like that I started, okay, I'm going to really kind of, kind of commit to this. And I went to a guided meditation class and for eight weeks in a row, I sat on a mat and sobbed, Oh my! God. like sobbed. <laughs> and I, at first I thought, okay, I'm going crazy. Like, what is this? Like, I felt it kind of welling up and I was like, what is this? Like, where's it coming from? What's going on? Stuff it down, control, control until I couldn't. And then at some point, probably around week five, and I went back every week. Don't ask me why I went back every week, but I did. <laughs> and somewhere around probably like week four or five, I was like, okay, obviously this wants to come out. So we're just going to surrender to it. And then I realized it's like literally every emotion I've ever had that didn't feel okay was stuffed in stuffed down and it had to come out. And it's like you said, your body's talking to you. And that was like, Mm -hmm. my body's like, okay, we can't hold this any longer. Can you please let this go? And that was part, like when we talk about embracing our shadows, like that was part of that process for me. Right. And recognizing that I've been stuffing my truth and every other emotion I have just keep packing it in. Right. 
And what people call menopause symptoms, I believe, is yes. the body screaming yes. at us to say something's got to change. Yes. You've got to do something differently. You can't carry on. Like That's you have exactly. to, well, you can try. And people can take the hormone therapy, but then it masks that it masks that process. So you yeah. then mask that opportunity to do the digging around and working out what's going on. Yeah. So and I, I mean, I think there's room for both because, you know, yes, hormone therapy, sometimes, you know, like for me, like it was necessary for sleep because you can't really function without sleep. Right. And so being able to get to that place where I felt rested enough that I could, in fact, tackle what I needed to confront. Exactly. Right. But to your point, there's a lot of it like we take this approach of make the symptoms go away yes. without addressing why the symptoms are the symptoms in the first place. Mm. Right. And I think it was uh, Christiane Northrup who wrote, forget which one of her books it was. And she talked about the, the veracity of your, of your menopause symptoms are directly related to how mis misaligned you are from your truth. Mm. And, mm. you know, I see some women who just breeze through it. And there was me, like pretty much anything and every symptom you could have put that's in the book, right? I had mm. pretty much, yeah, every one of them, right? And I was like, that's because I was not me. <laughs> like I said, it was a shell of me walking around outside of me, but not the inside of me. And so paying attention, like you said, paying attention and really addressing the root cause of like, what is my body telling me? Mm. You know? Like I even had this one point where like I was an avid fitness person and <laughs> I wasn't sleeping and all of this. And I really thought I could still keep working out. Like I kept trying to go to the gym. And then one day my trainer fired me because she said, your body's talking to you and you're not listening and I won't participate in it anymore. And wow, I was like, that was a good trainer. That was a really good trainer. I was mad as yeah, hell at first, but I then I, <laughs> I'm like, who the hell does she think she is? Blah, 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 right. And then probably about a week later, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. And thank goodness she did that. Like I actually then went and thanked her after, but again, it was me trying to hang on to every ounce of control and, you know, trying to like still be exactly as I was when my life was clearly telling me, very clearly telling me that I was not, I couldn't sustain where I had been and that something had to shift. And often when we get to midlife, we've been doing that for years, years, been, you know, just, and we get to midlife and we are seriously depleted. And then menopause comes along and we're just too depleted and we need to have a refuel. We need to pause <laughs> yeah and refuel yeah yeah emotionally and physically well, yeah and even spiritually like we were talking about yeah. like yeah it's the time and I loved where like I said I loved where you kind of break it down to the me no pause <laughs> like I had never I haven't seen it written that way and I was like that's brilliant because that's yeah. literally what it is and if there's one thing that you know anybody li listening to this takes away like you know, dissect that me, no, and pause. Like, where can I start focusing on myself? Where am I saying yes when I really want to be saying no? And how can I carve out some time for myself? Like probably the three most important things that we can do for ourselves as we move through this transition. But it's interesting because I've seen marketing for menopause-related products and supplements that change that round the other way. So you take the supplements and then me, no pause me carry on me just you know there's no pause so it's completely wow. the reverse and yeah. I think that is the wrong approach because I do think we need to stop yeah and I think a big part of that too is you know as women we've never been taught to trust ourselves mm -hmm. right like to, even to trust our own bodies 
-hmm. even though, you know, when you think about it, that we can make a whole human. And I think I saw it written down the other day, this, it takes 280 days to make a human. And I'm like, wow, when you think about what everything that your body has to do in 280 days to actually make a person with all the parts and all the functions and all the organs, like that's pretty incredible. And yet Mm -hmm. we don't trust our bodies. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, like we said, like looking for external validation instead of trusting like our inner knowing, right. Trusting what we think is right. So I think yeah. that's a big journey. Part of the journey as well is actually, I've learned to trust myself. I've learned yeah. to trust my gut Oh, to listen and to, to trust it. Yeah. 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 That's a huge part. So everybody listening, you got to read this book right? The Magnificent Midlife. Like it's an eye-opening read because if there's (laughs) things in there that you haven't yet considered, like as you're going through this journey, you know, Rachel really kind of opens, you open the kimono to pretty much every part of your life in here with, you know, a solid action plan as to how to navigate through it. And I love like the the worksheets and, you know, the, the action steps that you give at the end of every chapter, because it just makes it, it really just kind of brings to life a lot of things that we just might not be considering right? The importance of, and, you know, you touching on all of this, everything from, you know, our physical symptoms through to our, the emotional side of it, I think. And, you know, like our relationships and beyond that, you know, opening the kimono on all of that kind of stuff as we navigate this transition, because it really does touch every aspect of our lives. Mm. So thank you for writing this book. Thank, thank you, you for, for reading sh- it. <laughs> thank you for sharing it with us today. And uh, where can people find out more about you and where can they buy your book? So you can get the ebook or the audiobook narrated by me on my website. So magnificentmidlife.com slash book. And if you actually want a hard copy of paperback, then you have to go to Amazon to get that. And I am magnificentmidlife.com. That's my website. I'm Magnificent Midlife on all the socials. So, and I have a Magnificent Midlife podcast as well. So I'm pretty easy to find really. Just yeah. So everybody go check out Magnificent Midlife with the beautiful Rachel Lancaster. Thank you for spending this time with me today. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. So to the listeners, if you like what you heard, we would love it if you would give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.